0: And the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown! Here's Watson now, blockers in front, lowers the shoulder and in! Throws on the run, touchdown! Unbelievable!
1: And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For Walk podcast. We'll be talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. We're back again for another week as we're in training camp week two. The players, or some of the players, are in the building this week. The first press availability since the draft and at the end of the season, Uh, the coaches talk, Jack Easterby talk, we've got a lot to get into this week as the roster was trimmed back to 80 um, last week, we're joined this week uh, by again Mike at Chaps from Staff on Twitter, Mike how you doing?
2: I'm doing good mate, how are you?
1: All good my man and also joining us for his first appearance on the Turn Up for What podcast is Craig who's at Scottish Texans, Craig how you doing? I'm good mate, thank you for having me on. No, not at all. And Mike probably have to apologize in advance. Uh dealing with a couple of scots here if you uh, need us to slow <laughs> down or um, can't understand a word we're saying, then just uh just raise the hand and we'll a bit. <laughs> <laughs> You're used to me by now anyway, so yeah, I think yeah. it'll be all right. But um but Craig, first time on the podcast, mate, and um what's your sort of text and story? So
0: I uh, got into term- watching American football about four years ago. Um my main reason for picking the Texans at the time was Hard Knocks was on J.J. Watt. <laughs> what a guy. Watching J.J. Watt take over Hard Knocks, watching the just domination of that man was the most appealing thing I've ever seen in sport. So that got me into the Texans. Then I started watching and realised Brock Osweiler was our quarterback. And started questioning everything I knew about American football straight away. But from there... Um, it just grew and grew, the obsession with American football and a whole. Texans I mean, it's gone it's got a lot better since I started watching them I suppose. where going for Brock Osweiler to Deshaun Watson. I mean, that's the dream. Then we go, um, fix the O line, Larry McTunsell, I play O line myself. seeing that man arrive in the building was a dream come true as well. So yeah, love the Texans. Managed to get down to the Jags game and London last year which was absolutely amazing if anybody's listening that's in the British Isles that's fancying going down to watch an American football game I can't recommend it enough it's just an amazing experience
1: especially if your team's playing I mean that was just a dream come true in terms of your uh, turn up for what moment you had a moment where you just thought what have I done here I don't know what I've done to myself
0: pretty much the whole season watching Brock Os- Osweiler like <laughs> that was it's uh, one of them you see the contract and I was like wow this guy is obviously amazing we've obviously
1: made a massive mistake uh, I remember flying home for Denver that night after we went to the uh, on the next on the Monday I think or Tuesday morning actually because it was a Monday night game uh, we played in Denver and uh, it was in the in, in the stand behind the goals in the, the sort of lower end of the in uh, mile high and I remember watching them throw that spiral fumble I remember watching it i just come back to the toilet uh, kicked a bin with frustration I think broke my toe It's never quite healed since actually and uh, <laughs> and uh, and um, uh, it was that was the moment you knew it was kind of it was never going to happen I think the only person that ever liked Brock was, was C.G. It's got him a good contract he seemed like he could only throw to his tight ends and um, I always remember that game in New England if we had have just had some form of offence in any way we uh, probably would have beaten him in the playoffs but it wasn't to be I think it was it was always a, a risky move right because he's he, he he flashed in a good Denver team did enough to get them to the playoffs but ultimately when it came to the crunch time Gary Kubiak trusted Peyton Manning on his last legs more than he did Uh, they did well I think at that stage as well we'd been starved I think by never having a never having a quarterback but when you have one and I think people and me and Mike talked about this last week. When you have one, everything changes in an instant. And I think everyone this off season's maybe forgotten that a bit because we've got you know a, a guy who's you know got the potential to be the face of the league or one of the face of the league for the next five five to ten years. So uh, yeah, it's changed days since that. I remember it well that that night. And uh, yeah, I remember thinking uh, I'll not be back, but. We've been back every year since, so there you go. It uh, gets in your blood, I can feel it. Um, so anyway, the, um, we've had that since after we after we recorded last week, uh, Eddie Vanderdose, um has, has opted out of this season. We've seen an absolute plethora of guys opting out, particularly in New England, uh, which always makes you suspicious, but we'll wait and see what the, the grander plan was there. Um, but guys, in t- terms of Eddie Vanderdose opting out, any concerns for that D-line?
2: Not for me. Not for me. I mean, he was expected to be in regular rotation this year, wasn't he? But I mean, his first appearance was December last year, late late in the season. Um, uh, he's not really a cornerstone. Um, no, I, I'm not really particularly concerned. I think I'm, I'm more concerned that if, if there's more, more to come, is there a deadline for people to opt out? I can't remember
1: not been finalised yet, the deadline. Okay. so I think they're still working towards that. I think the, the league's concern and why they're trying to bring that forward. So originally, it's been held up by lawyers. Yeah. There was an idea that they would have a seven-day window once it was finalised for players to finally opt out. And obviously, teams have proactively spoke to their players and said, guys, we need to know which way this is going to go. If you're, yeah. if you're going to come back and play for us this year, great. If you've got health concerns off the field, everyone's situation is different. So you know, we respect that, but tell us now, and that's definitely what's happened in New yeah. England.
2: I mean, I, I do wonder. I do wonder, and I think i sort of mentioned this last week. You know, if it's looking like you're going to get dropped from the roster, or if you're looking like you're having a, you know, poor, a poor, poor training sessions, and you're thinking your position might be uh, at risk, whether people are going to take that option and opt out just to just to avoid the issue and and you know put it all off until the following season because they've got protection if they opt out, haven't they? So it's um, it, it feels like. You know, again, some, some people might use it as a tool. Because we were talking, I think, you said that, that they'd have to have some, some medical reasons to opt out. But I'm reading that anyone's free to decide not to play. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that people can just decide. So it just feels like, a, yeah, people are going to be doing it for, for the right reasons. But some people might be doing it just to get out of facing up to, you know, maybe not being up to scratch.
0: No, it's, it's, a, it's a fair one for me. Um, going back to the roster spots, though. I've got a feeling Vanderus might not have made it out of the preseason this year if we had had one. Um I mean we went back and got Albert Huggins who coming out of Clemson couldn't get a game because of uh, Dexter Lawrence and the big boy Wilkins that went to the Dolphins. I mean, two of the top D line interior D linemen that year. Um I watched them. I am a Clemson I watched Clemson as well and watching him when he did get a game, it was superb. So I honestly feel that we going back and getting Albert Huggins would have he would have taken over Vanderbilt's um, spot anyway. Um, so, like you say, if he's maybe done it for a wee bit of safety, a wee bit of security, that's possibly not a bad shout. But a lot of these guys are coming out, like Nate Soldier. I read the Giants um, tackle. He's got a wee boy who's got cancer. See, guys like that, like it's not even a question. Like if your children or a member of your family is at risk from this stuff, it's never going to. It's bigger than sport. Do you know what I mean? Like, nobody can argue with anybody like that that's got a, a legitimate reason. Um, if somebody's, you know, just going, oh, I, I don't want to get, I'm worried about coronavirus, I don't want to get it, and opts out, yeah, that's a bit different. That That's somebody you can maybe have a grump and a groan about. But at the end of the day, that's that man's health. And that's his mm-hmm. livelihood. You can't, I can't really argue with anybody. Um, I know that in Scotland, all the British football leagues got cancelled this year because it was just too big a risk. So... Yeah, no, fair play to anybody. I mean it's you're gonna get a lot of shit for opting out from your fans. Doesn't matter what your reasons are. So fair play to anybody and I like fully support anybody that needs to opt out this year.
1: Yeah, it's interesting as well, because the reason why Nate Solder picked New York over the Texans that New York kept trumping their offer that that off season. We tried to tried to re reinvent the, the line and uh and the um he could have very well been a Texan, but one of the biggest issues was that he didn't want to leave these coasts because of the medical care his he's, uh his son was getting. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, fair play, to, yeah, you're right. It's it's bigger than sport, I think. And ultimately, you know, all these guys are doing it to support their families first and foremost. So, you know, I think it's uh it's the it's the way the best way that you can see they can do that. So, if you can't you can't support them with good health, then you can't support them with much, release. Really. So, yeah, yeah, I mean it's 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 going to be interesting. I mean, as you, as you said, Mike, I wonder. If there's anybody in the text who's thinking about it, has not done it yet, you would have thought the message would be clear um, from that. But um, but moving on to the uh, the press conferences, and obviously Ob was out there, um, you know, 23 minutes of nothing, as always. Uh, good good <laughs> good, uh, good 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 answers without saying a lot. I think, but there was a couple of bits that they picked up on, um, and one of the bits, which is how it pertained to that last point, was that. You know, not all players are reported yet. Now, they're getting a phase return and you've got to have seventy two hours clear of testing. So the players go into the building, and get tested and then they get sent home for zoom meetings at this at this stage. They'll start going into start going in to get a lift in and then they'll start and then after that, you know, not until the fourteenth, as we said, they'll they'll get on the pad. So it's it's probably you know, not decided yet by any stage until the league puts a firm deadline on it. You know, we could we could be without one or two guys quite comfortably at this point
2: yeah so I, I spent uh, I spent the weekend up a mountain with no data, so I've literally spent this morning catching up and I saw I saw the O'Brien uh, interview and you're right, it was it was a scripted um, few half an hour of, of talking about the usual stuff, but he did talk about roster versatility and the bubble and um, and I think you know it, it goes back to what we again what we were talking about before about you know a lot of the differences this season. Uh, gonna make a, a, gonna have a big impact. I think on on certainly the start, the first half of the the season, you know how those teams manage the bubble, how how the teams prepare, um, you know it's it's going to be as big a factor, um, in terms of their results as as you know individual performances and and anything else. So, you know roster versatility, those kind of journeyman players that you can rely on with with experience, um, I think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna make a big difference. And I think that. I could kind of pick that out of of what O'Brien was talking about in terms of, you know, um, Deshaun and and JJ's press conferences. And they were just reading off a script, right? They were saying what they, what they would normally say. So I don't tend to pay much attention to those, but O'Brien's what, you know, it's all about talking about how prepared they are. And and as usual, just so you can probably take the lines from this season's and look at last season's and compare them. And he probably says very similar things, but, where where it was different was was where he was talking about the bubble and and that whole sort of roster versatility being really important for you know losing players and 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 dealing with any of these sort of unexpected uh, consequences um so you know i, th- I think it's none of it, it's none of it was a surprise um but but you know it's good to it's good to hear him talking about those things and 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 it's still I feel you know after all the stuff that's gone in, gone off in in the off season all the stuff that you know people say about O'Brien. Oh, Feeling good. I'm feeling good about O'Brien. Believe it or not, Um, it feels like he's got he's in control of it all. It feels like there's a plan, Um, and you you can't ask for any more than that at this point, can you?
1: No, I think so. And what was what was interesting was, you know, he spoke spoke on a couple of topics that I think you know we've seen a couple of times this off season about the man he is, much as as he's been maligned as this character in the media and a of this off-season rhetoric about this team's not got a chance and they've made this move and this means X and Y, you know, on very basic logic at best. Send them that article, please, because that was all my thoughts that I've probably had and we'll probably discuss them in various pods. But, you know, if they can stomach a thousand words or so about the reasons why there's actually, there's more to it than you take a possession receiver out of a team. And we'll come on to that bit, because there was a quote that I picked up, But you take a possession receiver out of a team that makes a huge difference to somebody. But anyway, I think one of the, the points that O'Brien did say, um, Craig, I don't know what you thought about it, but he, he, he noted, you know, these rookies have got eight weeks less to prepare than they would normally.
0: Yeah, I mean, any rookie coming into the NFL from it doesn't matter who you come from, if it's Alabama, Clemson, the Gators, it, it doesn't matter. It's going to be a massive jump and a massive um, amount of pressure on any man to make that leap. Saying that, though, there is a few guys that I have my eye on that I think will make a huge wave this year um, Ross Blacklock great run uh, run stuffer but also has pass rush abilities which I feel would be an improvement on DJ Reader, DJ Reader was an absolute animal, let's not kid ourselves here but I feel Blacklock looks a bit more athletic, a bit more you know, capable of getting to the quarterback than just stopping the run um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to bring this year I've watched a lot of film on him uh, after he got drafted. And I I like what I see. Um, Greenard from the Gators. There was a lot of chat after the draft as well about how he should have been player of the year and this, that, the other. Um, Was it Kinlaw, I think, from Auburn? got, And a lot of people were up in arms about that because they thought Greenard should have had that title. He seems to be a younger version of Whitney. Uh, merciless for me. Very athletic. Very clever. Very good at reading the tackle and how to get past them. His pass rush ability is superb, and he can play a couple of positions. He can go D end. He can go outside linebacker. So I do like what O'Brien's done there. It was two massive areas of need for us. Um, and like you say, he gets a lot of a lot of crap for the media and stuff. But looking at what's coming this year, when you've got Cooks, Cobb, Fuller, Stills. All these guys are absolutely rapid. Like, at the end of the day, if the short game's not working, go long. Because nobody's going to keep up with these guys. Maybe one defensive player might. But then you've got three others who are more than happy to catch the ball and go. So, yeah, for me, big ask this year for the rookies. There is a couple of guys I do think will make the jump, though. Um, especially when you're working, like, Blacklock's got made from him. He's working alongside JJ Watt. Do you know what I mean? Any tips, any advice, any help he needs, he will get from possibly the best player the Texans have ever had. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I don't know. I read some of those, a bit of a blackout for the media through preseason and stuff like that, which hopefully we'll get wee tidbits and wee bits of video coming through. I remember last year it was Titus Howard throwing some Green Bay defensive end to the floor um, on a drill, and that was superb to see. So, Fingers crossed, we got a bit uh, media this year, um, and yeah, I look forward to hearing the reports and seeing what's coming this year.
1: Yeah, I think so. That was one of the things actually. One of the guys, guys, uh, questioned him on and asked actually that, and that just you know, do you feel like you've you filled your defensive needs? And he did point out, you know, to his credit, that versatility at linebacker is an option uh, to to give them. You know, to give them options, and that was something he said he felt good about the secondary. but I don't think Bradley Roby's contract's actually signed sealed yet, so he maybe falls into that bucket of guys who haven't been back in the building yet, just with the phase return. and hopefully that gets sorted out because I don't think this team would be in a position not to have Roby on the team. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I thought he he made some points. And the big quote was that he thought you felt like you could eat off the floor. Said it was the cleanest place in Houston, and you know, the both him um, and Easterby talked about the, how they've you know renovated the building and um. And, and how they make the changes have made and all the all the stuff we probably touched on last week um i thought it was interesting though as well that john mclean pushed him twice on his son obviously bill o'brien's got a son with you know with special needs and uh you know and he said that in the press conference quite defiantly if jack gets coronavirus it's not going to be good for him Uh, you know and i think that probably puts it in a perspective a lot of ways because you know if you think the head coach is probably around the most individuals of anyone then he's uh, you know he's, he's probably putting himself and his family at risk at, at some point but I think what he was confident about and I think what a lot of people have to maybe think about this is you know this is manageable if you if you if you are sensible but you're you're relying on you know X amount of guys to do their part and you know and I think Jack to be talked about it as well that he said attitude and commitment is going to be the biggest competitive advantage you could have this season of any year
2: yeah, they're going to have to police themselves as well, aren't they? I mean, you know, again, I think we did mention this last last week, but it doesn't take, you know, depending on what the rules are around protecting that bubble, it doesn't take much for a player to put himself out of that, you know, sneaking off for a, for a, a takeaway or meeting up with with, you know, friends or whatever. These guys, they've got lives, they're going to want to do stuff. And uh, just making sure that they've got that discipline and that they police themselves and that they know that they're not just doing it for themselves, it's really important. But it, it feels it feels like that sort of team spirit is there, and it it does feel like so you know the the more experienced players, if they can step up and really take that take that role of 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 you know shepherd in the rest of them, that I think it's it's possible. You mentioned um, Ross Blacklock, guy's an absolute unit. But I was reading an article. You got JJ talking up the likes of Jacob Martin and talk, talking up sort of that, that whole line and you know I think that one of the things that's going to be really important is um, people like JJ staying healthy I mean I know that you know he's one of those players that's that's seen as a you know a really important player but it's not just it's not just about sort of him him putting in those key performances now it's about him being there to, to give that experience and, and guide those rookies and keep them sort of uh, fill in the gap that's missing from, from having those sort of pre season games and 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 you know all that extra experience that they're gonna be missing out on going into day one. So I think um you know making sure that those those key people stay healthy and and, and take on that sort of extra role of sort of mentoring the, the, the younger players that, you know, I'm sure that's what they always do and that's what they've always got to do, but it's a really important thing this season.
1: Yeah, and I think it was interesting actually just Jumping about a bit here, but in terms of come back on the old Easter, we'll be here in a second. But I think the the JJ's press conference was interesting, um, and the fact that he said because he's been in an environment where he's had nothing else to do, couldn't leave anywhere, couldn't. He? He's got his private chef, obviously, and, he, and all these kind of things. And he was talking about from his end of the spectrum, a player who's been paid and made it. This should, you know, he said this should be the healthiest he's felt since fourteen fifteen. Now, you know, yeah. not the biggest fan of the guy, JJ Watt. Certainly, yeah. the player, absolutely, but. Uh, he's a bit of a cringe fest at times but I thought yesterday when he talked when he when he, when he when he talked about his you know, when he talked about how he felt and I thought, you know, that's promising because if you think last year, okay, a pictorial it's not a major injury, but the year prior was a major injury and it takes you at least two years to come back to your your you know, to what would be your optimum um, and he talked about that, you've got to climb the mountain all over again, so if he is you know, 14, 15, no, you'll not be 14, 15 because those days are gone, I think people just need to make their peace with that, but if he's even 80 percent like he was playing last year, led the league in quarterback hits, you know, for a number of weeks after he went out, he's going to be an asset to these guys. And then, if he has still been able to be effective, um, you know, whether that be inside or out, and we've discussed a few times that you know I think he needs to play inside more than he does on the edge because he's not got quite got that buffer in the end, the edge that he used to. But if he, if he, if he is in that level of form, I think that's a that's a huge thing for this defense because. At times, Astro, particularly when he went out, the pass rush was nowhere to be seen.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to what you said about being inside-outside, I, I completely agree. He's not as sprightly as he used to be, coming off a back injury, a broken leg. I mean, these things are going to be on his mind regardless of how long it's been since these injuries occurred. For me, you put him against, on the edge against a rookie like Cody Ford and you sometimes will get a result like we got against the Bills where the, the momentum swung after his sack, um, and it was huge, it was what we needed um, in that playoff game, but for me day to day, week to week, he should be moving inside I feel, Um, he's still a fantastic pass rusher inside, he can do the job whatever he is on the line, Um, and like you say, you've got guys like Jacob Martin and these younger, faster guys who maybe aren't as big and powerful but are quicker than him, and that's what you need on the edge for me, you need somebody fast and small and able to duck under tackles and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and I think that that that's partly what why I reference. I'm not always a fan of the guy because, you know, that's been his ego, and that's been his reluctance to do what was, you know, always best for the team. And I don't think I don't think we've got that luxury anymore because I don't think merciless is what he was. I think he's all his sacks are you know long looping develop developing plays round the edge. I think that that sort of bend that he had, uh, when he was at his when he was at his best, went uh it's probably not there on its fullest and then again you know and we, and we don't have that tertiary pass rusher so it's going to be a combination of guys and getting the scheme right so um and how we dial up blitzes and weaver's going to that's going to be his biggest challenge in year one is how he does that so so i think i mean yeah i think it was interesting to see he was like that i thought you know if he if he is in and in, in that sort of type of physical conditioning great because this team and this unit badly needs it um and, you know, they moved away from Timmy Jernigan, which I thought was interesting because he seemed like he would be a definite starter at defensive tackle, you know, when we're playing an even front. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a I am i am ai am a little bit concerned, I think, with it, you know, and Eddie Van der Ross, okay, he's not a big loss, but you know, Brandon Dunn, yeah, I mean, he's been good and he, he's improved every year. You know, is uh is is Blackston necessarily gonna be the guy. And then, you know, I, I just don't ever feel confident contributing on or con- counting on the contribute contributes of or the contributions rather of of rookies. Um, so you know if Blackhawk does come in and provide some pass rush up the gut, I think he can. But you know me, and Mike talked about that last week. There was a picture of him and Jonathan Greenard standing next to each other, and actually he wasn't quite as he didn't look like a true uh, defensive tackle. So I think he's going to be more of a he's going to be more of a, a three tech defensive end, and then he'll be um, out out on the more than likely out on he might be in, in the inside on a, on an even front, but I think definitely on the. Uh, on the, on the three-man front, he's going to be a defensive end rather than nose tackle. So it's an interesting point, but I mean, the one thing I did think he's, I thought he said was funny about the, um, about the, the, the visors, and I know Oakley are still trying to test them for the league in terms of trying to stop um, spit and sweat or whatever they want to get for, out from the face mask, but, you know, JJ said, if you think you can play in the Houston heat and put a fishbowl in your head, then it's just not practical.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you play D-line versus O-line, every single... Snap! You're smashing your head into somebody else's head. I mean, something's going to get through. I don't care what you've got in your head. Something is going to get through. Um, I understand they're trying to put all these things in place to help guys feel more comfortable and stop the spread and all that stuff. But yeah, if you're playing wide receiver against a cornerback who's playing zone, you're fine, as far as I'm concerned. If you're right in the middle in the trenches, you've not got hope in hell.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like I think, I think you know, people, you know, they talked about that and they talked about the, you know, the the cleanest place in Houston or whatever it might have been. Um, And I think, you know, the team, like, it seems like the Texans, you know, with the the doors and the wristbands and the retina, you know, retina scan, you know, moving of of objects across the, you know, across the building, it looks like, you know, they are taking every single precaution that they could possibly can. And I mean, that's all you can do. And um and, and, and try and mitigate the circumstances. Now, Jack Easter, we talked at length um, at, at the uh, at the press conference. Uh, you know, we've kind of touched on him before. Originally a pastor, I know he's, he's, he's been from South Carolina and worked for colleges, and he was six years at the Patriots. I don't know what you guys think, but there's something about that guy that just makes me uneasy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know. Like you say, coming from a pastor background, and Bill O'Brien seems to have all the faith in the world in him. He was influential in getting cooks to come to Texans, and I'm like, well, I think the trade was more influential than that than anything else, and the fact that Ellie didn't want to pay his salary anymore. Listen, if he's helping guys get through it, then yeah, all well and good. But no, I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. I I'm not sure of him at all. I don't know what his deal is and how he's got so much influence of the Texans.
2: So I I I, I my view um, was that. I thought that he was possibly just in that role because he was someone that wasn't going to challenge uh, Bill O'Brien. I mean, I know that that plays on the Bill O'Brien tropes, but you know, somebody who's 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 gotten an arrangement with Bill O'Brien, and he's uh, not not necessarily just a figurehead in that role, but you know, he's he's a yes man and and he's he does as he's told. That that was my that was my view.
1: See, I, I didn't get that impression from him yesterday. That's the first time I've seen him speak at length. You know, and he's got that, you know, that South Carolina drawl and he wasn't quite what I expected. I think, I mean, he is, you know, he, he was highly regarded at the Patriots. Tom Brady talked at length about what he meant to him. So he's obviously good to the players. And I think when you're not in that pro-sport environment, I probably think you can't underestimate some of the handholding that needs to go in to get a tune out of some of these guys. Because it doesn't take a lot to throw them off course And you look at guys like Antonio Brown. And you know, there's been hundreds of examples of that over the years that, Things can go wrong. Now the texts have always been big on high character guys, and and you know if you, if you had certain indiscretions off the field, you just wouldn't get drafted. You weren't allowed in the building, and that was you know that was the policy. Until a point, that's fine, absolutely, I get that. But there's something about it used to be. I think you know he has a role to play, and you know he's VP of personal development. Now a lot of people don't appreciate the GM's role. You know, is mm-hmm. literally everything that is to do with football operations. So from the hotel to the flights. Yeah, to the you know to the travel plans to where the you know to where where the team uh, stay off season where they stay on season, you know player liaison you name it right from top to bottom everything that's not on the field that falls under GM remit so I can see how he can come into that and I don't think necessarily perhaps he's a yes man but he he's certainly some somebody that's in a position look I'm not going to doubt his background I'm I'm not well versed in in that. And that sort of arena, and what transferable skills that might bring to you know to lead a, a pro football program. But I, I find it very difficult to somebody that comes on that comes from that background has such an influential role in a, a, a multi-billion-dollar corporation because that's effectively you know yeah. what we're what we're talking about here. So I think he's got a lot to add. I thought he, he got pressed on a couple of questions about diversity, and he's a good guy to roll in front of the media and and give out you know good politician answers. He did that well, but. Um, you know, if he, if look like, if he can if he can create a better environment off the field for the for the players, and they've obviously done that, um, or they've or they've been very focused on the guys they wanted to bring in, and they've moved people out, and they, they, they felt potentially was detrimental to that. Then, like, fair enough, you can't put a price and cohesion and harmony off the field because that translates on. But there's just something about the guy that I don't like, and I think if the wheels fall off at any point in all this, and it and I'm sure there'll be some interesting uh, stories that come out of it because there's just something about the guy that I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but he's not quite like anybody else you see in the media. Maybe he's just genuine. Maybe that's just you know a genuine personality coming over, and so many are are um are, are, you know are able to cloud that with you know with football speak and what have you. But yeah, there's something about it I just can't quite quite can't quite get get there with him.
2: He's a people person, right? I think you can, you know, his background suggests that he's a people person. You don't, you don't have that kind of background without being able to relate to people, you know, regardless of beliefs and things like that. You, you've got to be able to relate to people and be relatable. So, yeah, maybe he's just he's just a personally, you know, easy to get on with guy, and uh, and that's what's needed in that role.
1: But anyway, I think the, the good thing about having yes, there was, we got to hear from Deshaun, Obviously, this contract's still looming. You know, we talked about last week. I didn't want it to drag on, and I don't think it necessarily will. But certainly, it feels like there's a bit, there's a bit disconnect there, or it would have been getting done. I, I I don't know if the Texans are going to have to make some concessions as the, as the season gets closer. And you know, and he made, and he he made all the right noises. He said, you know, locked in being a Texan. He went through a long list of what he loved, and then just pasted in the name of all the stakeholders that could potentially be interested in this new contract. So he said all the right things. He's obviously been coached off the field by his agent and. and uh, and they're still not there. Um but I think what a couple of things that I did pick out, you know, and I think it's it's almost what they don't say or how they say it in these press conferences, because they've all been through the, the Bill O'Brien School of Media Training, um, you know, to say very little and and, uh, and pad it out as quick as possible. But what he did say I thought was really interesting, um, and this was a point that actually Lance Erline from NFL guy Houston Radio on ESPN radio in Houston that you know, he talked about that last season that and I, and I think a big part of why um the Andre Hopkins is no longer there is he didn't train much. And uh, and he also said, you know, he didn't get enough time with O'Brien as the offensive coordinator they would have liked because he had other responsibilities. And I thought that was quite interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, the stories coming out about hop I mean, some of them were ridiculous, some of them were more believable. The ones about him not training, I do believe. Um, there was always There was obviously some sort of issue between him and O'Brien. Whatever it stems from is between them. We will hear stories and stuff. I don't think anyone will really ever know the truth. But for him not to be training, I do believe. I do believe that, um, and I also believe that there was a story came out about they would the first quarter. We never got any points because O'Brien hadn't done enough scouting because he had so many other jobs to do throughout the week. So they would wing it the first quarter and then figure out the game plan for two, three, and four, which the level these guys are playing at with the players we have is absolutely ridiculous if that's true
2: i, I find um, that yeah i find that one a difficult one to to sort of to believe because you know it, i know obrien has got lots of stuff to do but he, <laughs> i would have thought that in in the list of, of his priorities that that was probably right at the very top you would definitely
1: hope so yeah i mean I think, I, think, I think there was definitely there was definitely a point that he was interjecting into the game plan late in the week, and I think yeah. potentially, we, that story Craig has mentioned is potentially that he interjected mm-hmm. late in the week. Therefore, it wasn't quite settled in the in in the uh, in the repertoire of what the you know what does what the offense was expecting to execute changes maybe on a Thursday to Friday. You've got Saturday walkthrough. And then Sunday, you're coming out a bit cold, and then he goes, right, okay, we'll go back to our tried and trusted, you know, as as we set our tendencies for the offense for what we're trying to implement, it's not really worked, and then we'll go back to some of our core, our core plays. And I think it, the, the, there is some truth in that. I don't think necessarily winging it was, was would be the would be the would be the you know right. I don't think O'Brien would let that happen because he's an offensive guy and he's that's what he's he's, he's built his career on. But I thought it was a it was a point to note because if that genuinely, was a turning point for this offense, or a or a central you know cog that wasn't quite turning for him because he was wrapped up in so on and so duties. This offense should then, in theory, take a take a jump with uh, with Tim Kelly being there, as he's you know and Tim Kelly was there anyway. So it just it's just you just got to hope that O'Brien is is fully able to step back and say to Tim Kelly, who is a disciple of him, and we touched again on that last week. But he's a disciple of O'Brien. He's been with him right through. So he's surely got to be able to just sit back, hand the reins and see how it goes because he's, he's, he's been under his stewardship for long enough to to, to sort of know and, and think how he how he wants him to.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I never really read that as a lack of attention until too late. I, I always read that as a lack of trust, you know, a lack of trust in the play calling or a lack of trust in the player's ability to carry out the play calling. And you know what, let's just go back to what we do. Uh, You know, a, a sort of last minute intervention rather than a, Rather than a, oh, I haven't really thought about it now, I'm going to look at it, oh, I don't like those plans. I think I always, I always kind of felt that that was more of a, uh, I couldn't quite trust everybody else to make those decisions l- at the very last minute. Oh, you know what? We're doing it my way. That That's kind of how I read that. Yeah.
1: I think there's a, a sense of overthinking it. I think he's, he's got a great habit of it, potentially sometimes thinking he's the smartest man in the room. And I think you, you saw that with certain play. you know, with with certain Set up of the team, you know. If you look, watch that New England primetime one. You know, we absolutely kicked the doors in offensively. We looked sharp for the word go, and you know, and you and you know, the Sean game, the game ball at the end, it said, you know, I know how much this means to you to finally get one over on them, etc. So, you know, you could see where his input was there throughout the week. So, if he if he's got an ability to say, look, you know, these are the keys to the game, Tim. As far as I'm concerned, this is how we attack them. If you've got any other ideas, more than open, check him and move. Otherwise, you know, crack on and 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 let's. Uh, and, and let's attack, you know, their defence and, and depending on how they're how we expect them, to set up in different ways. But I thought that was that was a big one and um and Craig, good to get your um opinion on this one, mate. And I, I wrote a couple of articles on podcasttexans.com dot about uh, the Sacks tracks articles about the defensive offensive line also about the you know the Deshaun and hit where he'd got to at the end of year three just based on the, the sample of plays of, of Sacks but um that, that that we'd given up as an offence and um but but Deshaun said very specifically, and the way he said it, I think, was important that when we had our starting five out there this year on the O line, and he used the word dominant. And if you go back and watch the tape against Kansas City, if you go and watch the tape against Atlanta, if you watch it, you know, even it was their first outing together as a five in, in, well, not San Diego, but it should be in San Diego, but it was in fucking like Carson or whatever it's called outside LA. But, but anyway, but you know, if you look at all these, all, all these, um, all those games with the starting five played. Okay, they came back together late season. Titus Hard wasn't right. Tunsil was struggling. He had shoulder, off, uh, shoulder surgery in the off season. But that three game span where they, those guys played together before Titus got carted off and, in Kansas City, the the line was the line looked like you know something akin to
0: 2011-2012. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you can never under like downplay the the effect that. Tunsil had on that line. You bring somebody as good as Laramie Tunsil in to work with two rookies as well, one of them who's playing the same position on the other end that player is always going to improve rapidly and have a massive impact on any line he goes into. Playing next to Max Sharping as well was another master stroke I have, to, I have to say. You've got a guy who's a big boy he's, I think he's the biggest guy on the line playing left guard Um, but playing next to Tunsil, you know the knowledge the chat, the, the there are a lot of things that you don't hear about in like the media and stuff. The amount of chat that goes on in the line pre snap um, is massive. Uh, for Laramie Tunsil to come in was a huge, I think, confidence boost for Deshaun Watson. At the end of last season, he sat on a podium and said, "I can't throw the ball. I have no time to throw the ball," and basically slated the offensive line without saying. And he oh, the, the
1: Colts game, yeah. 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 yeah and he yeah. basically
0: says you need to drop back, you need to take time, you need to do your reads and throw the ball. I can't do that. And that for me was him basically saying to the organization, you need to help me. Um and they did. And I mean, you you look at the effect that had, you say there's a three game span, and I mean, yeah, there were still sacks. But a lot of the sacks for me, there's ones that yeah, someday will make a fantastic play and sack Deshaun Watson. Fair play. You know what I mean? That that that's football, that happens. A lot of the time for me though, Deshaun Watson will leave the pocket. He's trying to extend the play because that's what he does, that's how he plays football. And you know what? That's why we love him. Because when it works, it's amazing. When it doesn't, he gets sacked. Again, there's only so much you can blame the offensive line for. Um But going through the line, I mean a lot of people this off season were slating Zach Martin. Zach eh, not Zach Martin, Zach Fulton. I mean that guy didn't have a bad no, season. not at all. Yeah. But because there was such a massive improvement everywhere else on the line, he became you know, stagnant almost. Um, it was A lot of people go, oh, we need a new right guard. We need a new right guard. We don't need a new right guard for me. The guy gets, goes in there, does the job. He works really well with Nick Martin, who's Deshaun Watson laps praise on every time he speaks about him. Um, and he's playing next to a revolving door at right tackle last Season unfortunately for him when it was with Howard, it worked. Roderick Johnston, somebody I do rate um, as a backup, though, as a swing tackle. Chris Clark, god, the less said about him, the better. Well, um, I, I
1: think t- in Chris Clark's defense, I would say, and I know I heard I think it was Johnny Harris from Texas Media talk about this, and he saw him halfway through the season. He would, he, he'd hung it up, he didn't expect to go, he came back to try and do the team a favor. Somewhat a plea for help, right? And that's that's that probably was it. I think he, I was surprised that he threw the team like his teammates under the bus like that. As you said, he seems close with Nick Martin, and you have to have that center because he's that relationship with the quarterback because he's his second set eyes, right? And he's got a he's got a set you know set the protection right just as much as Deshaun does, and in, um, in terms of you know the the two fronts you know lining up against one another. But I think yeah, I mean a big a big yeah. I, I felt you know, and I I said it a number of times in the off season that the. the Zach Fulton criticism, was people that don't watch film because you're only as good as the guy next to you. And and when Titus Howard was in there, he put to bed those Andre Dillard thoughts, persuasions, whatever you want to call it, that people were clamming for. Texas made a mess of this because Titus Howard was by far the better player of the two after year one. And he was playing some great ball and he, he's got a real nasty streak about him. O'Brien well, talked about that at the Combine. He lined up in the um, in in the in the meeting room and they just about threw Tim Kelly across the room when he asked them to try and do something. You know, one of the nicest guys you'll hear off the field, but he's he's he's, uh, he's an animal on it. So I think if you've got that start in five, if you look at the, the time Deshaun had to, you know, in that five touchdown game against Atlanta, you know, where he was phenomenal. The, the game against Kansas City, if Fuller just catches one or two of those, we win that game comfortably. And uh, you know, I think the, the presence of those five and the continuity and the communication of those guys—it just can't be underrated by any stretch of imagination. And he knows that because I think there is a lot of off-script plays at times. Yeah, but when Watson starts
2: improvising and leaves the pocket, that—that's when it's exciting, though, isn't it? You know, that's where you get—that's where you get the uh, the YouTube clips. That's where you get the the exciting bits that people remember. And, that, and in a way, that's why I feel I feel sort of. Uh, I feel a bit sorry for the guys in the offensive line. You know, they're going to have eyes in the back of their head for moments like that. And uh, but you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. It, it needs to be planned. Everybody needs to know what they've got to do. Um, but but Watson running out of the pocket and doing his thing is, is
0: what makes him so entertaining, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. I, I think I touched on that earlier on as well. Yeah. That we we love Watson because he is a scrambler. He will extend the play and make an, a superstar move and we'll be sitting there going wow yeah as an offensive lineman when it doesn't, what, right? <laughs> when, absolutely when you turn around and you're going where is it?" and you see him scrambling away and you're like oh my god and especially, <laughs> I mean he's he's tough let's let's not yeah. no, uh, miss that out. I mean the guy can take the hits and he just gets up and gets on with it I mean what was it last season he had a punctured lung and all that I mean that, that's incredible to play through that But, yeah, as an offensive lineman, the last thing you want to see is your quarterback getting absolutely smashed, ever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the stats, it's it's tough on the offensive line. Yeah, Watson got sacked X amount of times. But the majority of them are because he's scrambling and doing his thing. And it just didn't didn't pay off. And, I mean, let's say that's football. That happens.
1: I think the the concern's got to be, yeah, it is exciting. You're right. But it's not. It's not. A, you're not going to live live as long as you should do in this league if you're taking that pound. And As you said, the season where he was, you know, I was I was at the Dallas game and I watched him take that hit. I think it was it was either Jalen Smith or Leighton Van der Esch. I can't remember which one hit him. And he you know, and he was diving for the pile and he was never going to get there. And he should have. He, and he should have known to you know check it down, run out, run it, run out of play, whatever he might have done. And you heard it in the stands, you know, and you know, and it looked like I saw one at the time. So I think he he's. Yeah, is exciting. Yeah, but he's got to play within the scheme, and if that that starting five allow him to play within the scheme, then he's going to live longer than than you know, or as long as we need him to live. Because it took us so many years to find one, and you don't want to be trying to find another one because he needs to you know, he needs to rein it in at times. A big part of the o line in. And how this is going to help this team, I think. And it was another point that Deshaun touched on was the running backs, and we're, they're obviously going to have D.A. Johnson and D.U. Johnson in the backfield, just as we'll have uh, J. Reed and John Reed in the uh, <laughs> in the secondary this season. So it's going to be a bit difficult for commentators and fans if you're not you know if you're not sharp on your numbers. But you got 31 David Johnson and 25 Duke Johnson. For me, that's that's the turning point, Mike. I don't know what you think, but that's for me. If we can run the ball effectively this 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 season, you know, and Craig touched on it earlier, we've got guys to stretch the field. The tight ends will become open. But if we can run the ball and, and run and run enough options off that play action, then you know, I, I'm I'm I'm, pr- I'm more than comfortable that we'll be yeah, a better offence this year. If
2: we if we don't have to rely on the um, on the long the long throw down the field and a mad scramble, if we can just if we can just move things forwards um, a bit more confidently, then. Uh, that, that could be the difference,
1: and and then I think as well, with David John, right? We've got a thousand yards out of Carlos yeah, Hyde yeah. for a guy who just basically turned up a couple of days before week one. So you know, I think you know, and I think Deshaun touched on it as well. Was we've got two guys. We go we, we got a twenty personnel set. You've got two guys in the backfield there. You know, we did that with a full back and then Aitkins has played you know yeah. has played some of that H back role in the past and in uh, in and flexed out and, and beating that sort of that, that that short pass in the in the flat. But when you've got probably two of the top five pass-catching running backs in your backfield, that's going to give us a lot of looks that we can play off and 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 keep linebackers and safeties on their heels. I don't know what you think, Craig, but I think that's going to be a big advantage. And I think when all the trade talking, bringing in David Johnson, I think that's overlooked because I think they must and they, and they must. And if they don't, then you know we're all we're all idiots, right? But if I think they've got a, a really specific role carved out for for um, David Johnson, or maybe. It's just another guy to to take the load, and and Duke Johnson is so effective, and he did not see the ball enough last year.
0: Definitely, uh, I mean Duke Johnston had, I think, he was one of the top running backs um, with touches or something, yards gained with touches. Um, the guy does a job, but I think because Carlos Hyde was more of that, you know, head down run running back, you know, he would just do the dirty work, get stuck in. Um, I think he got more of the ball, but. Listen before when the news broke, David Johnston was coming to Texans. I was over the moon because David Johnston was one of the most dominant running backs a couple of seasons ago. Like everybody wanted him in the fantasy teams and all that stuff. Um, so I was over the moon. And then yeah, the news broke a bit hot, and yeah. it was a bit bit sweet. Yeah. But I still remember, like, as soon as David Johnston's news broke, I was thinking, this is this is good for us because, like you say, we brought in Carlos Hyde for a. It was just a random trade that seemed like nothing um, at the time, and he got over a thousand yards. David Johnston for me is better than Carlos Hyde. Um, has a yeah, absolutely. He's got a massive chip on his shoulder.
2: He's got a lot to prove as well, right? So you know, he had all that, all that negative, all that negative energy from from being on the back of the the Hopkins trade. He's got a lot to prove, and he's he's talked about it. I know whether you follow him on on social media, but he to it, it gets referenced a lot about you know. Uh, he's got a lot to prove, and you know doesn't 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 have a lot to. Uh, he doesn't worry about the haters and stuff. The guy, the guys, you know. it's I'm not saying it's his last chance, but you know he's got the experience. He's got a lot of potential that's possibly unfulfilled, and maybe this is maybe this is the team where he you know he can get back on that and maybe surprise some people. You know, and he's that, not I he's not had a lot of uh, yeah. Go
1: on. No, I was just going to say, Mike. I think he, he fits that that sort of inside zone early down sort of stuff that O'Brien likes to do but I think yeah. you know with O'Brien not you know we talked about not maybe playing the call, calling the plays as, and Tim Kelly well maybe Tim Kelly will have a different you know opinion on that and, and maybe actually throwing the ball the first down rather than continually running it now that was the least they ran the ball ever in O'Brien either last year by the way and that was brought by John McLean yesterday and, or I'm sorry on Sunday rather on the press conference but the I think, I think he fits a role in terms of like the bell cow, you know, in inverted commas and, and giving you those hard yards. But also, I think with with, De, with uh, Duke Johnson, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, getting to the edges, stretch zone plays, you know, that you sprinkle in and break up your tendencies, he was really effective in those. I remember the, the run he had against Carolina before they called that ridiculous trick play and it got intercepted, you know, and that basically <laughs> killed the game for us really at that point because it was just such a momentum killer. But you know there was a, there was there was a, an outside zone that he broke up you know broke up the left and he put us in the red zone, and he did that a number of times. He did that week one, and I remember thinking last year you know all of a sudden we had a run game and we looked a bit more balanced you know because all the years of Omar Miller who was a a third down scat back type you know good for screens outside zone you know stretching the play using his speed and then they told him to put him weight and run him up the middle you know you know I've heard people talk about it's like buying a sports car and. Uh, taking it to drop your kids off at school, you know, it was it was, it was was pointless. It was pointless, you know, and it was a misuse of running backs. But last year was the first year in O'Brien needed so it only took him six years right now. But it looked like we'd actually figured out how we wanted, or we had the right personnel to run what we wanted to run. So I think it was, it's, I think that for me, the running game, and look, I think Duke Johnson cannot get the ball enough in passing because when when Carlos Hyde was out on the field and this is why I think David Johnson could be could be a big plus that people maybe aren't talking about, like you said, might overshadowed by external factors, nothing to do with his own performance. He has had injuries, but I think there was so many plays I watched last year on tape where the where the running back and, and eleven personnel got flexed out. He was out, you know. He was he was out on the perimeter, the, fur, the furthest wide of all, all the receivers, and he just ran a simple curl route, and it was very predictable. And you were basically taking, you know, that option off the field, and defense is starting to know. You know, if I can notice it, it as a complete layman, then I'm, I'm sure I can guarantee defensive coordinators noticed it. So, if he comes in, and I remember when we when we had Tyler Irvin, and that never quite yeah. panned out. But they brought Tyler Irvin in and they they had a very specific role for him to, to to line up in the slot and catch a lot of sort of short, sharp stuff across the middle. And I think David and Duke Johnson having both mm-hmm. those guys on the field at times is going to open up that, that, that aspect of the you know of the of the passing options for Deshaun. So yeah, running running game aside, I think that the, the final quote that I picked up on and um you know, i i, I put an article on podcasttexans.com about all O'Brien and the moves and trying to separate the you know the villain in the media versus the, uh, you know, versus the, you know, the actuality of, of somebody that's actually pays attention to a team and uh, and uh, you know and I, you you used the use the F word there, Craig. will forgive you, right? But I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are watching fantasy aren't watching what's going on in the field. But I think that's a big that's a big issue. Um, and you know, no more than Houston, no more than Texas. And I wrote length about that. But one one quote I did note was when he talked about the Hopkins deal and he said, look, I'm going to stay in my lane, it's above my pay grade. All the things you'd expect a franchise quarterback who's on the cusp of getting paid, he's not going to say anything controversial. And nor would he, right? Because, you know, from everyone I understand, he was told before that move was going to happen. He was consulted. This is where the, the direction of the franchise is going. You know, ultimately, he's just an employee like every other player. He's the most important one, but he's still, you know, he's still not in there. he said, look, I'm going to stay in my lane. You'd expect him to do that. Definitely. But the quote I took from it was he said he did what he had to do talking about Hopkins now to me it's just a small is it a small I don't think that's just a small throwaway line because if it was how did, you know people have tried to portray it as you know oh Hopkins he was sanded out you know it was a good player didn't get enough back from blah 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 but that sentence alone tells me that move was engineered by Hopkins in his camp to a degree
0: yeah I'd have to agree I mean one of the main reasonings that came out of all that was contract negotiations. I think he had three years left on his deal um, and he started pushing for a, a new contract and more money, which, to be honest, is quite right to do if, if he believes so. But I think behind the scenes, especially when you're talking about his camp and all that stuff, I think the guys would have been making a lot of noise and bringing up a lot of you know nonsense just trying to force that through. Um, if he wanted away from the Texans, I mean there's loads of ways these guys can engineer moves. It's not just with the Texans. If if you want out of a team, like there's loads of ways you can do it. Um they obviously found something that worked against Bill O'Brien and yeah, he did what he had if like Hop, uh Watson said, he did what he had to do and he got what he wanted. And then I feel I believe I think he's gonna get this mega contract from Arizona and good luck to him. I do think he'll struggle though when He's playing alongside Larry Fitzgerald, who is, you know, the trusted wide receiver of Arizona. And he's going to walk in there thinking he is going to get the ball as much as he did. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest with you.
1: Well, that that's it. And I think when he's playing with, you know, what's his name? Murray, you know, the midget at quarterback, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, don't, I think it's going to be one of these things that I think when he moves on, Now I think there was an element of injury, but then you saw a video when he was talking about, you know, T-E-A-M team. It's all about the team. And he was talking about that when I work out when he was with Fuller and he was with Charles and all these guys. And, and so I think there's an element actually that he's bitter about it. And I think he, I don't know what you think, Mike, but I, I think you won't realise how good Watson was until he has to go and play with somebody else. Now, look, as a pure athlete and as a guy with potential, you know, Kyler Murray's right up there, but there's a reason why not a lot of guys at that height, you know, bar Drew Brees, have ever been that successful uh, in the position.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree. I think, um, I, I I and I do think that um there was a there was a really good, um, a really good dialogue between Watson and Hopkins, and then it went on for a while afterwards where there were you know Hopkins was. Taking shots, and you, you might get uh, Deshawn actually liking the tweet and things like that. So there was there was some stuff going on there, <clears throat> but I think um, he's not going to get the service that he had. Um, and and, you, and actually, you know what? In that last season, he he didn't get the service that he wanted all the time either. So you know, when those plays were called where he he wasn't he wasn't necessarily the first target, you could see he didn't like that. He didn't like not being the target. He didn't like not being that sort of that that main avenue. You could see, you could just see it on his face. You could see it during games. He was getting frustrated with stuff. When, whenever he wasn't that that primary goal for that ball, he was he was getting frustrated. And I think um, you know now he's moved. He's never. He's not going to be that person. He's he's absolutely not. He's going to have to fight a lot harder for that position. And I don't know whether I don't know that whether he's actually been in that situation where he's had to fight for that sort of uh, that top spot. You know.
1: Well, I think when you think, watch his film, you know, I think that. He's. I when I talked about Watson being, you know, maybe he'll appreciate what he had. Didn't look the friends yeah. off the field, and yeah. these are young guys in their twenties in social media, a different generation. Like you know, so it's this kind of means it means less to them than yeah. some people would like to make it out. But for a guy who consistently failed to get separation on the outside, who's not going to be afforded to play in the slot because Larry Fitzgerald plays yeah. in the slot at this stage of his career. A guy who failed to get separation, now don't get me wrong, his catch radius is the best in the league, without a doubt, yeah. and he he needs the ball to be fit in tight windows because he can't get enough separation because he doesn't have that top-end elite speed that a lot of teams are all trading and looking for. You know, look like at Henry Ruggs, first yeah. player in the draft this year, he's got the elite speed. That's what, what teams are looking for, the Chiefs reigning champions. They've got a track team on the outside. They are looking to stretch the field, open it up and underneath, and they're doing that with fast guys. But the, what I think what we've what he'll, what you'll realise is I, I, I don't know. I've not watched enough of Kyler Murray to say he can't do that, but he doesn't strike me as a guy who's willing to fire the ball into the tight windows and trust. Him. And then that may come over time, and his 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 natural ability will you know will always win out. Um, but yeah, we'll see how he's interested. And we've said before a guy that likes to go. To, um, Paris Fashion meet Living in Arizona. It's a bit of a paradox, but there we go. We'll see how we come <laughs> with that. Anyway, but well, I think that I think just just the, just finally as well. I think in one one note, I think that that Watson said, and I think this is probably the final biggest, and everybody knows this, right? And you're we're probably sick to death of hearing it. And actually, I think for now on, right, we've got, there's a ban. We're not going to talk about Hopkins ever again because I think we need to move on collectively. Yes, agreed. And, and dragging it out. Maybe last time we'll do it right. It just there's been a lack of. A lack of stuff happening, so it's still getting talked about. And this was the first time the players were back in the media later than normal. But I went to a game last year in NRG, and I walked. There was two guys on the field on either side who would probably say the top two or three. It was Julio Jones. And it was DeAndre Hopkins. And who was the best wide receiver on that on that field? By a country mile that day, was Will Fuller. Not even a question. In terms of the impact yeah, on that game, I was just going to yeah, was actually
0: going to say that there. I was like, you have to say Will Fuller.
1: <laughs> Yeah, he was he was—he was frightening. He was absolutely frightening. If this guy can stay healthy, he's a, he's a wide receiver number one just by speed, and his route right run along. Because I think people probably underestimate, actually, how actually not... Will Fuller's a better route runner than DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think you can really question that. That's obvious when you watch the film. Fuller's fast, but he's also an artist and, and coming in and out of his breaks. And he looks a bit strange with his dreads shaved off. I, I'm going to be honest, I just didn't even <laughs> recognise him. But I think this guy—he knows it. He knows this. He's never been injured in his whole, you know, high school, college, and he's had seasons taken him, and he's had dollars taken out of his pocket. So, if this guy—you know—we talked about the running backs and how important that would be. But if this guy comes in and can play sixteen games, and you know, and you know, I watched him burn past, you know, the honey potter or whatever he wants to call himself at safety in Kansas City, and it was a no contest. He just dropped a couple of passes. And another day, that's, you know, two or three touchdowns, but he'd already scored a hat-trick the week before. This guy's potential is off the charts. if He can stay healthy because Deshaun throws a lovely deep ball and you've got Brandon Cook stre- streaking on the other side. It just feels yeah. like it's set up well for both those guys.
2: He's my pick for this season. I, I, I didn't want to say that because I I have a habit of of cursing people. So, if I, I I was trying not to say that he's he's my pick for the season because that means he'll get injured on day <laughs> one, but <laughs> but um but yeah he's my he's my pick. I mean even if you know he, he you can see how he he can terrify a defense, absolutely terrify defense. He can cause havoc, and you know he, he's a, he's a fantastic player. His stats don't his stats aren't great because he spent a lot of the season not doing anything right, but. He's 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 got such potential, and if you and look it, at
1: the games he returned in, right? Okay, right, that Thursday night game against it was probably a turning point of our season. Malik Hooker was having fits, right? He, you know, he was a, a high pick coming out of college, never quite you know come back from his first season injuries, and you know when he flashed for the Colts. But with Will Fuller on the field, that was the times Hawk, you know okay, the, the, the departed looked good, but without him on the field different prospect whatsoever because the safeties rotate their coverage, know, etc You know, they, they, they can be bracketed. You put Fuller on the field with ad- additional pace, if not equal pace, you know, you stretch the field and I think the guy who's going to have the biggest impact, I don't know what you think, Craig, but Randall Cobb, I think he's just got, I think having a trusted slot receiver that knows when he's hot, when the ball's got to come out quick and he's got to break off his route because, you know, the, the, the uh, defender in his zone's blitzing and he's hot, he's going to cut off his route and just take the easy catch. And I think that veteran savvy across the middle could be the difference between Deshaun not having a 4,000-yard season, which his talent suggests he should, but to doing it this season and being able to sustain drives at key times in games.
0: Definitely, mate. Um, I mean, we talked earlier on about Deshaun extending the plays and stuff. If you've got somebody like Randall Cobb who's playing the slot and as good as he is, I mean that takes a huge amount of pressure off Deshaun Sean Watson. Plays not working out, going long. There's no nobody around just to pop it to. There's Randall Cobb. He's always going to be there. That's his job to be the fall guy, to just get the short yards. And but with the pace he's got, it's it's a different game. Is that like I said earlier on, when you've got that many guys who are that quick, defenses can't cover everybody. Um, and when you say about the Falcons game, I mean I rewatched that. That I think that may have had the biggest effect on the moves that were made this season to go and get Cooks, Cobb, keep Stills, you know, go and get Speed because Will Fuller ran absolute riot that day. Um, nobody could get near him, and it was it was ridiculous. Like I think that was the potential the the day we saw the potential of Will Fuller and what all the hype was about and why we went and got him and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I don't think Hopkins had too much to do that day, and it's that's probably had an effect on him. And yeah, whatever, but going forward, if we can play games like that against more teams, we're going to do very, very well this year. Um, same Will Fool as your pick. For me, I, I think it's going to be David Johnston. There's so much controversy come around him coming in with the trade and all that stuff. I think he's going to have a severe chip on his shoulder. I mean, he dropped down the depth chart at the Cardinals and stuff, so I think he's really going to come in, step up, and be the workhorse this year for us and yeah I could see him getting a thousand yards rushing
1: yeah I, I mean I think yeah a thousand yards is fine because we don't need a you know a 1400 1500 yard back because the Deshaun will provide that at times we need it you know and we want to minimize it but you don't you know we just need a guy who can maintain the system have good ball security um and keep and keep moving the chains you know three four five yards a time and set up short and immediate passes, so we're not in third and long. And I think he, he can do a job on that. I think for me, I'm kind of torn. Actually, I think between between not only you know Duke Johnson, you know, and I think you know feed the Duke and he will score because I think he's you know he is always open. He's that he, he, he doesn't. There's something about when you watch Duke Johnson, if you if you stand next to him in the street or if you were looking at him, you would never think he plays the game how he does. No, because he's incredibly elusive. He's so shifty against linebackers and safeties and he, and he can't we, we physically cannot get him involved in enough in the game And I, but I think that's a bit too obvious for me and I think look I, I think that the effect you know we went back to the importance of the offensive line for me Titus Howard is, is, is the guy because if you as you said Craig if you can get two solid bookends on the line everything else falls into place you can get away with a couple of average guys in the middle there as your centre three if your bookends can, can, can you know can maintain that pocket integrity and I think He'll just do that, and I think for all the all the and you know talking about David Johnson being written off, Titus Howard was written off by so many people. Now they forget it, and you know we talked about you know there's the, no more famous example than than those idiots booing JJ Watt the night he got booked, um, yeah. the night you got picked up. You know, and that that's that that'll never be forgotten because it was so ridiculous. Um, you know, and okay, well, you know, you, know and you take a defensive end at Wisconsin, you know they were wanting outside linebacker, whoever, right? Um, and there were some guys in there who were in that position who they should never have taken. You know and defines Rick Smith career just as it did taking uh Deshaun. But I, I think Titus Howard if he can come in and be healthy and even if you keep the two tackles healthy, I mean maybe need to rotate out. Um a bit odd extending Sen- Senio Seno I wasn't quite sure about that one. Yeah, that's, anyway, that's a
0: strange one for me.
1: Yeah. I think it's just the skip the, the the fear of losing depth, I think, on the offensive line. Particularly when you you can keep an extra offensive line in, you know on the game day roster now. It's, um that you know that rule change is a big one. So mm-hmm. I think they're obviously just depth is a depth is a depth is, is a big concern for O'Brien I think. But yeah, that's starting five and I think, you know, it was clear from watching all those sacks back last year when the right tackle went out and it changed in and out, the whole right side of the line flopped. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a bit it's a big uh, a, a big key for us. So I think yeah, look at it, I, I, you know, I think the more you talk about it as well, I don't know how you guys feel, but you start to feel more positive about it as well, despite all the noise and the in the, the 28 to one Super Bowl odds. Now I'm not saying we're a Super Bowl contender by any stretch. I don't think the defense is there and we'll talk about the defense next week, but I just, I feel that all the options we've got, I don't think many people can dispute. And I mean, you know, and we didn't even talk about Kenny Stills there, right? That's, that's a wide, you know, a wide receiver three or four that's up there with some of the best. You know, Kenny Stills is a comfortable two, you know, and maybe a one in a team that's, you know, that's, that's rebuilding.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the Tunsil trade alone was superb. Adding Kenny Stills with Fuller's you know, injury worries was a masterstroke. I mean, he came in um, having minimum time to learn the playbook and get used to Deshaun Watson and stuff, and you would have thought he'd been there all pre-season. It was just flawless. Um, bringing in a couple of other guys, like you say, about Cooks and Cobb and stuff, I still think Stills will do a job for us this season. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think the depth depth, Mike, can you remember a t- I mean, to be honest, it was always a joke. You had Andre Johnson, Kevin Walter, and it was about it. And then, you know, and then we had and then we had, you know, the, the Kiki QT and everything, you know, and somebody you know, we'll come on to the tight ends in a second. But this has got to be the best wide receiver group that we've ever had by a significant distance.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's there's you know, the the compromises that we're used to. Um it feels it feels good. It feels like we've got um strength and depth, it feels like we've got options um i i i' I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again I'm feeling confident about this season, you know cautiously confident I don't know we're gonna we're gonna sort of win the super Bowl, but you know we're certainly far better than uh, any of the um, any of the ratings any of the preseason season uh, predictions that are sort of making us out to be. I really still can't get my head quite around um how poorly we're being rated. i think we i think we're we're in a good place. Um, I think it's just not being recognised.
1: Yeah, you're right, mate. And I think that, you know, if you, I don't know if you watched that, uh, the film breakdown with Brian Baldiger and Deshaun was on it on NFL Network and I, do, I don't watch anything really that comes at NFL Network because let's be honest, it's, it's set up for a reason to shape opinions, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, but that, that genuinely watching tape back with a player is interesting. You can learn a lot. And, you know, you don't forget Stephen Mitchell was out there and they, and they had that, you know, they had that, Um, the, the three, I forget the name of the formation, but the three guys in the backfield and you're just waiting to watch which way the defence goes and you pick the open one, right? And they scored with a touchdown on um, what do they call it, the full house or full pistol in, in, in the backfield. They scored on that with a rollout to Darren Fells in, in the New England game and it was set up exactly the same in Wembley. I remember watching it, thought, I was sitting right behind it, clear touchdown, 100%, and Stephen Mitchell just totally, just was just fresh on the field. Kenny Stills had just gone off. And he yeah. and he, and he had a you know he had a free run at the end zone. He just couldn't quite get his feet set to take the catch, and it was you know it was it didn't get much run at the time, but it was a big play. And Deshaun talked about that, and I think so. You know, it was only last year where we felt good about the position, and guys like Stephen Mitchell were out there. So that's going to take a step forward again. That added with the line, if we can get the run game, it'd be great. And and you know, and I think I don't know why you guys feel about the tight ends, but you know, okay, Darren Fells comes back, fantastic in the red zone great touchdown numbers, I think, you know, record for a Texan tight end since, you know, we've never really had a good tight end since, you know, that one year of C.G. Fedorowicz, but we talked about that was a byproduct. product Brock Osweiler, couldn't see his wide receivers. <laughs> but it's, we've never really had a good tight end since Owen Daniels, so he was a big red zone threat, but then you've also got, you know, you've got Aitkins there who can do a bit of everything, and then I think the question is, who fills that roster spot between Jordan Thomas and Kahali for the for the third one on the roster?
0: It's a tricky one, I mean, you look at Thomas Thomas is a big boy and he carries a bit of extra weight and stuff like that which isn't always a bad thing because I know O'Brien loves a block and tight end I'm very interested to see what a uh, wearing will be like I mean he looks a incredible athlete he looks he looks the part uh, whether he can perform we'll see there was I, I don't know exactly what happened last season Mom, um but Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting battle to see who takes the final spot. Uh, If I was a betting man, I would say Waring.
1: I think it's tough to turn your back on. I know he was only a six-round pick, Jordan Thomas, but there was a a game, a stretch of games. uh, We had, I think it was the Miami game on the Thursday night. They went up to Denver, and then they had the home game against Cleveland, or in that some some variation of that order. And in that three-game stretch, he looked unplayable. so it's in there and I think, you know, that the, the, he got injured and I think Luke O'Brien said, you're in year two if you miss time, I can't trust you. So I think you might be right, Craig, in the, in the sense that I'm almost tempted to say it's Jordan Thomas, if he wants to be on this roster, he's going to have to beat out Darren Fells because Darren Fells is not a big deal. He's possibly a regression candidate in terms of you know he's a bit older. Okay, he's had a basketball career in Europe, and so I don't think he ever really looks slow at times. And he's a big you know prospect. And you've seen, and I think that what might go against Jordan Thomas, well, in fact, it will go against Jordan Thomas is blocking in the trenches because there was a couple of plays last year where he where Darren Fells was one on one with uh, with Miller from um, from from Denver. I know you had some injury issues at that point but he held his own, and he held his own against a number of big blockers um, in the, in the off-season. Se- off but what I think you have to remember is Darren Fells had his worst game of the season against Denver, uh, sorry, against the Bills in the playoffs, and he looked like he'd kind of run out of steam by that point. So I think Thomas will need to beat out Darren Fells for that first spot. If If he does, then he's on the roster. If not, I think... There's maybe a potential that, and I think it'd be wasted talent, but they might say Cahalie wearing. because if you saw Mike this week, and they're all getting their, uh, their their video clips for the jumbotron and what have you, and getting their getting their pictures and getting their clips for um when they announced the, the fall, college and stuff, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. You know when they say their college and things like that on in uh, yeah. live TV when they announced the lineup. But he looks a unit, but I know he's not played a snap yet. And th- and you know the lack of preseason is guys like could kill a guy like his career you know, third round pick, I think they won't give up on him this year. So you think the investment versus Thomas it might be wearing, but I think it'd be a bit of a leap of faith. At least Thomas has got some tape on the field to show he can do it. So that's a really interesting spot, I think, in the offence. Whereas and then I think on the wide receiver front, I think what do you think guys, does Kiki make the roster? I mean I me personally, I wouldn't yeah. have I wouldn't have DeAndre after the fumble in the playoff game, I watched him fumble right in front right in front of me. Um and the uh in in the Atlanta game and he he made that game closer than it should ever ever have been. He's yeah. probably had one too many mistakes for me to do it. And I think but I think the only guy on this on the current roster would be Tyler Simmons out of Georgia, who looks like he's got some capability in the, the return game.
2: Is it is it not a temptation though, especially with this season and the way this season is looking in terms of, you know, you don't know until actually the guys are on the field is going with a known quantity and he's very much a known quantity. Is it? Is it the yeah? Quality? Well, the
1: you're topic? right. I think this will be the most risk adverse move you make. That's why I think possibly yeah. if you take that lens, I think Fells makes the roster. Jordan Thomas and and Leiden fight out for the third, just depending on who looks the best in camp. But you know, and both of them have had you know, I've had I've had good reports from previous years. But yeah, we're still going to get the pads on at this stage. But but yeah, I think yeah, you you might be right. We just we just go with the the, the the safest possible option this year because the lack of or the the fear of making a change and then not being able to. Or have limited yeah. ability to change it later on is is probably going to cripple some decision making. I,
0: I think with Kuti as well, though you've got you brought in Cobb, who is arguably one, been one of the most consistently good slots in the league for years. If he can't, you know, you, we're talking about mentoring and stuff like that. If he can't learn from Cobb and become a consistently good slot receiver, this is like make or break for him this season for me. If they even give him that long. I, he, he's made a couple of good plays, but when I think of Kuti, I think he dropped balls and fumbles and stuff like that. I don't think... It, it doesn't fill me with happy memories
1: at all. Yeah. There's a there's a terrible play in the Baltimore game last year, and that was the Texans' worst outing by some significant distance. And part of that was that there's one of the games and the, the, the knock on Kuti is he's not mature enough. And there was a game in... Uh, in Baltimore, and he and he was run the wrong route. He was basically Miller and Hopkins. He didn't know what he didn't know his responsibility. So when it gets to that stage, he's got burst. He's he's twitchy. He's good with the ball in his hands. He's good for end arounds. He gives you a bit of flexibility in terms of what you want to do on the on the uh, on the line of scrimmage. You keep him in motion, um, and he is good. And I remember a play against Washington as well in his rookie year, and he pushed about three or four defensive backs off, and it looked like he had a real attitude. So the talents there. But the talent and then putting it together on the field with knowing his responsibilities declined in line with the time that Wes Welker left to go to San Francisco. So I don't know if it, if it was him in his year keeping him on the straight and narrow, he's just not got it in his locker mentally to piece it all together. So it's a shame because it was a fourth round draft pick not so long ago and we're not really in a position with the absence of draft picks to walk away talent. So him, Thomas, you know, uh, at the tight end position, Kahali were in, I think they're going to be the, the pinch points to who make the roster. It's been an absolute pleasure, guys, for having these on and, um, and and discussing some of this, uh, how the, the offense will look um, this uh, this season. Next week, as I said, we'll, we will be looking over the defense and the defense certainly not the strength of the offense that we've just gone over. But you can follow us at, at podcast Texas and PodcastTexas.com. Thanks again for listening uh, this week and we'll be back every week, hopefully from now until February, Talking Texans, and hopefully a successful season if we get one at all thanks again for listening and we are Texans